and welcome to the All Japan Women's Destiny podcast. I'm your host, JD. Welcome to another episode as we go through the history of All Japan Women's Professional Wrestling through the classics episodes that you can find uh, on various places of the internet. I vastly encourage to follow along and learn and enjoy the history of this just awesome women's wrestling promotion of the past. This is a spin-off in conjunction with the Red Leaf Retrocast. That is the proper episode where these come from. We hope you enjoy our audio and our uh, discussions over the various wrestlers and the matches in which we go through the ages. If you like what you hear and you want more content, please consider checking out the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash redleafretrocast, all one word, where we also cover LLPW, various other uh, women's wrestling promotions of the past, and the project that the whole reason it exists is the Joshi 2010's journey, where we go through coming out of the dark ages of Joshi professional wrestling and really learning and having fun with wrestlers that we're very familiar with to this day to ones that we may have missed out on. I hope you enjoy the audio you're about to hear covering AJW. And if you want more, please, again, consider signing up to the Patreon and leaving us reviews over at iTunes, Spotify, and the like, all your favorite podcasting outlets in which you listen to AJW and the Redley Fletcher cast. Enjoy. And welcome to the latest All Japan Women Destiny episode here. We are at episode 75 of the classics here that that uh, you can find on uh, Samurai TV, uh, Purosa Dream, and various Google Drives. We are in the middle and the heart of the Grand Prix here from All Japan Women. It is uh, July 26th, 1993. From the Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium, number two, <laughs> uh, a capped attendance of 1,950. So all Japan women still doing very well across the board, across their extreme schedule. Uh, it's pretty wild what they're running. I went through the last few episodes over the high injury rate, how stretched thin this promotion is, the almost necessity uh, to the extent of why, perhaps why, this interpromotional war kind of uh, set off within uh, JWP and LOPW among the like. It almost feels like, going through the summer here, that they need them to fill out their roster and to make interesting cards. Or at least to keep a variety between the matchups. Because when I was watching this, and yes, the promotion still feels real hot, and it's picking up steam more and more as 93 has gone on. And this has, again, been a uh, big issue, or not issue, been a, a, a trend since 1991. And a lot of it has to do with the Bulnikano title reign, the transition over to Aja Kong, completing that story as champion, 
and the rise of Akira Hokuto. Uh, that, that's been a massive thing, and it really, really started with that Shinobu Kandori match at, at, uh, at uh, the, the Dream Slam show. Akira Hokuto is by far the biggest star in the company now. And it, to me, it's without question. Yes, Aja Kong is a star. Bolnakano is still there. She's still treated like a star. The The mid-card is really improving. Uh, Saki Asagawa kind of put her up there. Mima Shimoda. Etsuka Mita. Uh, we're, we saw the return of Kaoru to the promotion. More on her a little later. And you got your upper mid-carders that they're they're definitely positioned high, uh, but they're they're not quite at that true main event level. Uh, it depends on the tag match situation there because if it's there's there's definitely a hierarchy you're seeing in all Japan women right now between the difference of tag wrestling and single stars. Uh, I would say Aja Kong is firmly in singles action star territory. There's only three of them. You got. Again, Bolnakano, Hokuto, and Aja Kong. Uh, is not going to be put in that position, though, but she's still treated as such. She's, she's going to be in these uh, various tag matches and being highlighted and heavily protected. But Akira Hokuto, being the biggest star in the company, she's in main events. While Aja Kong, I've noticed a trend of her being in the upper like card position-wise. She's definitely a top three star in the company now. But she's filling out semi-mains and the like while Hokuto's in the main position, uh, especially on a lot of these big shows. Uh, on this one in particular, when you have heavy work rate matches of people going out there and putting in a lot of time and effort, I'm seeing a trend of Takako in a way. Saki Asagawa has moved on up, and especially the two of Kyoko Inoue and Minami Toyota. Toshi Yamada is there for they're they're not putting her in high end singles matches they're putting her in big tags so we've seen her with a variety of opponents whether it's Kyoko Inoue Yumiko Hota Minami Toyota and the like uh, and and perhaps the same could be same in that tag realm of Suzuka Minami but she's definitely slotted as a mid carder not that we we know who she is at this point in time in AJW. The, the hierarchy of and following that of, of positioning and who they trust to go out there and put in 30 minutes, more on that, is very apparent. And who the biggest stars are is very apparent. Uh, and on the LLPW journey, you kind of see a different sort of way of going about the roster and the hierarchy, mostly because the roster isn't as big. Uh, they don't have the same injuries uh, going on. They have a different sort of structure that they have. They, they have their own host of challenges uh, that they have to go through. Not so familiar with JWP and what they're what, what they're going through. Uh, I haven't done a lot of research on that company in particular, uh, other than the other than various facts and quips of, of uh, them showing up in AJW at this point in time in, in my research and journey. Uh, so I don't have the context of JWP exactly. But in LLPW on the Patreon, patreon.com slash redleafretrocast, went through, just completed 1993. And it was a very enlightening journey to see uh, the progression of the roster and their own challenges. And they're uh, very different than AJW. AJW, as they're getting more popular, unfortunately, the roster can't keep up with their house show schedule. It's insane. 
I mean, I make this joke all the time, but uh, Bull Nakano in reports is like she's taking a break and she's still having oh, like 150 matches a year. And she's on pace for that in this year where she's taken a step back from uh, a full time schedule. That just shows how just insane their schedules are, including the fact that the house shows are still picked up and doubled at times. And they're having to cancel shows like outside of Tokyo and regions because what what AJW and the Matsunagas, the guys who run the company, like doing is splitting their roster in half <laughs> to do two house shows at the same time in various parts of the country. And they have half their roster split to do long ass matches. Uh, and that contributes to more injuries because they want that house show money. And remember, this is a different era. Much of the shows are built off ticket sales. That's how they make their money. And and I, I'm not I'm not quite sure myself on on merch. I don't think that was the same back then. There's what I mean. What are you going to sell? That I guess pictures with the wrestlers. But uh, it's like programs, magazines, uh, VHS tapes of of past shows that they can sell. But that's not in any sort of mass production. Uh, I know those Dreamsland tapes are doing well, <laughs> though. We've gone over that. But here we are. It's This is wild. Uh, this this is definitely a sense of what the Grand Prix and these tournaments were like back then. And AJW and I, I spoke about this and my curiosity of, like, how many matches can I find from the Japan Grand Prix in 93? Because they're doing round robin. It's not a knockout tournament where you can sort of find all the matches. They're doing two blocks, very big, between their healthy wrestlers and a couple uh, uh, outsiders that have come in. And we are at day 61 of the Grand Prix here at the end of July. And that's just insane. And I, I again, I mentioned this. You can't find hardly any of these matches if they're not on these big shows of the month deals. Because they're running all these wacky house shows all across the country, and there's just not tapes of these that have been retained over years, or were they even taped to begin with? You can find uh, the the matches and shows that made TV, AJWTV, uh, in their like 1 a.m. time slot or whatever it is, but those are like super clipped versions that we see here in a couple matches. Uh, I was able to find like a Mima Shimoda Tomoko Watanabe match that was clipped for like five minutes of their 14 that they went on this show. But uh, that's just par for the course of the time, uh, which is a shame. I, I found a full version of a couple matches and, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed them nonetheless. I mean, this was a good show for all intents and purposes. But if we're to compare it to the modern era, uh, there's a lot to be said for, say, modern stardom. And how they run. And I'll throw even TJPW into an extent over just how cards are run and put together. I'm not saying TJPW, like, certainly not depth-wise. And maybe some could be said for, like, Shoko, Rika, Miyu, and Yuka. Perhaps they have a similar skill level to... Obviously not star power. That we're, we're not talking that. Just like from an in-ring perspective, could you say like Miyu and Yuka could put on a, say, four-star match and match that of like a uh, Kyoko Eno and Manami Toyota? Sure. You know, they could they could do that if put into a similar position. Go out there for 25 minutes and have a 
have a banging main event. Yeah, it's very it's very possible. They're more than capable of that. So in in that sense, it's the same. But from a depth perspective and how cards are put together of like even a stardom x stardom card that happened recently where up and down the card, the quality was 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 there. And we're the the main critique is, ah you know, maybe they should have done this way. Maybe nostalgia isn't uh, the the main factor there. Uh, That's the that's the conversation. While in AJW of this time, you're looking at it and, and it's it's just essentially matches. That are kind of put on, you know, on this on this show, we have a uh, main event tag. We have one Grand Prix match that fills up a majority of the card time. And then we have just various other, you know, tags and and just filling singles matches. These the, these aren't this isn't content that you sink your teeth into. It's just good fucking shows. Uh while a stardom show or even a big TJPW show, you got title matches, you have storylines uh, mixed, mixed into them. Uh, so substance-wise, there's I think there's more to be said of today's wrestling than what I'm seeing in this current iteration. Uh, something, something to think about and compare to and what you think you prefer... Uh, now, do I think like Akira Hokuto and Suzuka Minami goes out there against some tag team and I'm like guaranteed three and a half plus to four and a half? Yeah, I, I think there's much a much higher ceiling and possibility of the stars of the past than, say, a TJPW show for sure. But stardom? What what what's we could go back through all these cards over the course of 2022 and the last couple of years and more often than not, you look at, say, cage match or grapple when, when that is working. You know, we're heavily critiquing, like, four stars and about of, like, ah, you know, wasn't as good as I thought. And you're like, yeah, that may be true. But then we're critiquing four-star match. And that's what we were getting back then. So on an equal, you know, equal to equal base, modern stardom's kind of on that same level. And even more so from a depth perspective, uh, perspective, uh, in in what we get in under and mid cards. I mean, I, wa- I watch I watch a Cower Ito match in the mid card of AJW here ninety three, and I'm losing my mind because it's just the same thing over and over again. And she's getting pinned while, say, a mid card match on a Stardom show is like Micah versus Risa Sarah, and you're like, well, hot damn, that's three and a half, four stars, depending on who you ask. That's fucking cool. And there's substance to it. Anyways. Fruit for thoughts. July 26, 1993. Osaka. Gym number 2. 1950. Now, attendance-wise, obviously. AJW's killing it. There is no comparison there. Uh, At least not at this point in time. But again, keep in mind. You know what? Hold on. Let me go to cage match here. Cage match AJW. Let's see what they've pulled in just house show July events here in 93. Because this was their big show in July 93. This July 26 show. And we're we're gearing up for uh, Legacy of Queens that is taking place next month in August. Which is a huge major show that's probably going to draw a lot of money. Uh, and a lot in a big crowd. But uh, here we go. We got uh, Chiba, Saitama, uh, right prior. So those are, and Nagano, here, 
uh, Stardom's done Nagano. They they've done similar towns. Uh, let's um, let's click on these Japan shows. So we got here. We go. This is this is much better comparison. These are house show AEW or AJW compared to Stardom in the Grand Prix right now. These are kind of you know one to one comparisons more or less. Stardom, you know, they've ran Corkin. They got a couple fifteen hundreds in there. They got Hamamatsu at at eight hundred. Uh, and they got a couple shows in the the high uh, the high sixes, uh, and you know keep in mind AJW does like to embellish some things, but the, this also isn't Corkin that we're running. They're running uh, here we go Nagano twelve hundred on July fifteenth, uh, July eighteenth fifteen hundred in Chiba, okay, uh, <laughs> Saitama at the Shibihara store parking lot sixteen hundred. Ah, let's. A parking lot that's like walk-ups, that's estimate. We'll, we'll throw that one out. <laughs> we'll throw that one out for this argument. Let's get a different town. Um, Here we go. After this show, back in Saitama. Let's see. Not in a parking lot. Uh, 1800 at a sports center. All right. Well, let's go with that then. <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about. So their house shows for AJW, they're pulling anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 people. And in Stardom right now, they're pulling... 600 to 1500 so we're we're definitely lower than what ajw is doing in 93 it's it's not that much lower in comparison but you know 500 people difference plus or minus and then for for major shows you know i'll click on this uh, legacy of queens thing that we're going or actually there's a uh grand prix day 68 here in uh kasumugawa and they they okay so they pulled 1800 there yeah let's go let's go legacy of queens and let's compare stardom x stardom okay uh just hear me out for argument's sake so stardom x stardom they pulled like a bad number more or less 1300 and uh, comparatively and ajw does this legacy of queens show in august it's a joint crossover show with a huge main event uh they're claiming at the nippon budokan 14000 sold out Okay, depending on how much more, much more or less that is true, I'll do more research when that time, uh, when when I get to that point here soon. But that's the huge difference between modern stardom right now and their opportunity to grow versus what we're seeing in AJW here. Now they're you know they're selling out Yokohama. They're they're getting Dream Slam six seven thousand people fourteen thousand here. That's the huge difference between modern stardom and AJW. Now, was AJW competing on the level comparatively to their peers of, like, New Japan, All Japan? No. Not to that extent. But they were in the conversation for a, you know, top five promotion. While with attendances what they are today in the Japan wrestling scene, stardom pulling these numbers is number two. In, in, the, in the context of the scene, how they're running, and what they're doing. So, if you want to talk about success relative to the scene, Stardom is probably more successful in the current state and form and in context of what's going on. But in terms of success, pulling in fans, uh, how hot the promotion is and what they're doing, AJW is a light year still ahead, uh, still away uh, ahead. That's what we need to uh, compare uh, in the relative sense. So that's something I wanted to bring up and discuss here. 
Now, how is the wrestling? Oh, my God. Uh, I had a great time watching this show. Uh, we had a two-on-one handicap match of Sami Numata defeating uh, a couple very small rookies, Chikaya, Chikako Hasegawa and Masami Watanabe. Look them up for their names later. Ch- Chaprita, Asari, and the like. Mima Shimoda defeats Tomoko Watanabe in a 14-minute match that I saw clipped. Look, fine. I, I, you know, Tom- Tomoko Watanabe still has a little ways to go to get out of this undercard. She's slowly getting there. Mima Shimoda is definitely on a higher slotted level, and you saw in this match. And, and then we get to the shows that uh, the matches that actually showed up in this cl- in this AJW Classic here. It is uh, Bat Yoshinaga and Bull Nakano. Uh, wacky ragtag team this is and they're taking on Etsuko Mita and Takako in a way and it was a very fast and chaotic 11 minutes okay Takako in a way I have decided <laughs> for for my opinion is Takako in a way has gotten so good uh, across the summer and even uh, I, I would say gearing up to that Dream Slam show Takako in a way has found a lot of fire she's found a lot of uh, stiffness to her game, and she's kind of dropped more or less uh, this dainty cutie Suzuki look, and she's really coming into her own as a wrestler. And I saw a lot of that in this match with her just her just stretching Bat Yoshinaga and taking to town. She's not taking her shit kind of deal. Mita comes in; she's a giant comparatively uh, to her couple peers here. And then she when she gets in with Boldakano, it's it's good stuff. You know, it's a, it's very hard hitting. Uh, I do like the constant tag team moves that they were doing there. This is a very AJW-style tag match where it's just chaotic from head to toe. Not really slowing down. They know they have a small time limit, so they're just going to get their shit in. Which is a lot of fun to watch as a fan. Uh, now, why did Takako Inoue get so much so much highlighting? Well, it's because she was going to get pinned. And that's a very AJW move. It's a very Joshi wrestling move. It's a very wrestling move when you think about it. it is, if you're going to pin someone... Let's make them look good in defeat. And so they will get a majority of like cool ass offense in. Makes you want to root for them. So when you get pinned, you're just like, all right, I want to root for that person. And Bull Nakano flies from out of nowhere, unlike some wacky backdrop that Inoue gives. And uh, Yoshinaga hits like, uh, I think it's like two big spinning wheel kicks that she does. And uh, Bull flies from out of nowhere, hits her guillotine re- leg drop to pin Takako Inoue. Uh, good stuff. I I hate watching Bat Yoshinaga. She, she's well. She's coming off this like wacky injury. Injury. Uh, she's fighting through it, but she's like not bumping a lot. She's very uncoordinated. Uh, how much more do I need to talk about Bat Yoshinaga not being great? Uh, yeah, she has a few moves where she kicks you stiff because she can't actually <laughs> work a kick or anything. Next match is a tag match. It's uh, Aja Kong and Infernal Kaoru taking on and defeating Saki Asagawa and Kaoru Ito. Let's talk about Kaoru here for a second. Okay. So we saw her return in the CMLL offer match uh, with a mask. And what happened before is in the late 80s, uh, Kaoru was supposedly fired from AJW outright. uh, And... Not for the sense of she was just cut and very much like um, a couple FMW wrestlers and and people going to JWP uh, because like Dynamite Kansai was just cut from the draft, so to say. Uh, Kaoru was apparently fired for breaking the no boyfriends rule. 
And uh, that was the three no's of AJW. Must retire before uh, 25, no alcohol, and no boys. Right? And Kaoru the Rebel, the more you look at her career, the more fascinating it is. And I like Kaoru. She just retired officially uh, at the Marvelous show. And it was it was nice to see her finally like kind of go out on her own terms after delay after delay of injury and pandemic and whatnot. And I liked what I saw from her in the Joshi 2010's journey, which I went over up until her big Achilles injury that put her out for a few years. Uh, and what heat that caused with her and like Aja Kong and uh, uh, Mayumi Ozaki and uh, a lot of speculation behind what actually happened there. And uh, uh, fascinating stuff. Go listen to that. Joshi 2010's journey, patreon.com slash redleafretrocast. Uh, try out the free versions of the shows uh, on the on this very feed, All Japan Women Destiny. Uh, you can you can really follow along with that, but if you want if you want to help out with the DVDs and stuff, and uh, me doing the research and getting the content uh, firsthand, then signing up for the Patreon's a big help. And uh, look, Kaoru, she went to CMLL, she went to Mexico for a while, she came back at the Dream Slam show. I guess she uh, impressed enough people, and with the, again with this depleted roster, and she's in Japan. Let's use her. It's it's funny how all of a sudden, uh, with competition, with LOPW and JWP kicking around, and a depleted roster of injuries, it's like oh, okay, I you know twenty five rule gone for Bulnacano. Now the no boyfriends rule. Ah, you know, Kaoru, it's been a few years. Maybe you just don't have any boyfriends anymore. Or we'll we'll ignore that since you're not in the company anymore. So she's back, and I liked what I saw from her. Uh, the match was definitely built solely around essentially Aja Kong. And occasionally, Infernal Kaoru would come in. She'd hit like a German suplex. She'd do some splashes off the top. Uh, she'd do she'd do a lot of the uh, uh, Norio Tateno vaulting um, uh, uh, senton attack uh, that she does. That that that's a heavy move from the mid to late '80s in all Japan women, as I've gone through on that journey. Uh, uh, very common move there. She spams that a lot. And then you had the team of Saki Asagawa and Karito. Yeah, they tried to isolate Kong, and they they tried to uh, double foot stomp her to death. But Kaurito, my God, this woman, she's she's still no good. But can she put in an energy filled tag match? Sure, like the Hikari Fukuoka match and whatnot that that uh, happened a few podcasts ago. Like, there's potential for good stuff there. It just all depends on like what we're doing match structurally with Kaori Ito and how much she factors into the match. And this is a case where she was just in way too much. And when you, there's only so many double foot stomps you can watch before you go, all right, can we please do something else? Because it's just her running the ropes. She jumps double foot stomp on the ground. She goes to the top. That's ah, a double foot stomp. Oh, someone's on the outside. I'll stand on the apron. Double foot stomp. It's just over and over again with this woman in her shitty, terrible Peter Pan outfit. It's a, a green polo that's cut off in like the uh, the the little checkered forms. She's got the little diamond forms on her sleeves and, and at the bottom. She looks like a geek. She wrestles like a geek. She does the same thing over and over again, and she gets back fisted a couple times in oblivion for my enjoyment. But Saki Asagawa, it was like through osmosis in this match. That she's seen all these double foot stomps, and now she has to do it too. And I don't recall her hitting her jumping heel kick once 
on Aja Kong. That was ducked a few times. She might have hit it uh, once on Kaoru. But really, the heat was on Aja Kong. The comebacks were for Aja Kong. And if she needed to take five, you know, like a hockey player just hitting the bench for a couple minutes, she'd tag in Kaoru to do some few moves, then she'd get right back in. You know, the match was pretty okay, but I, I, I can't really recommend it because it was just the same shit it felt like over and over again for 21 minutes that this match went. But uh, yeah, it's it's decent stuff on Aja Kong's part, and after those two backfists, she hits a choke slam on Ito and Pinzer. But it's something that will definitely wear on you as a fan. <coughs> Excuse me. But a match I fully recommend is what happened next. It's a Japan Grand Prix match. Finally, we get to see one of these things. Uh, they call it the Blue Block match. So there's your stardom reference again. Blue Stars. Here's your Blue Block. It's Kyoko Inoue taking on Manami Toyota. They're both sitting at two points at this time. So they're like, they haven't even like wrestled much. Uh, uh, comparatively, uh, I'd really have to dig into like scheduling and what's available and how many like times they've wrestled and lost to each other. I don't think it matters because we can't see them anyways. We're just looking at the matches when we can see them. And then and when we get to the finals, we get to the finals. It's it's unfortunate, but that's just where we're at. And this match went to a 30 minute draw. And on the surface, that might seem like it's long and you can't do it. You can't invest your time into it. I'm here to tell you that it is absolutely worth your time. Because you remember the last time they these two went the journey to a long match that we ended up getting like a five-star classic. Big Dave style between Toyota and Kyoko Inoue. It's a match where you're like, these two are inventing moves in the match. It's transcending the scene and style like because you're watching this just these new things happen and this one was kind of along the the same scale of that really where right out of the gate they're going a thousand miles an hour and they're matching each other move for move whether it's double drop kicks uh they're stopping themselves on the rope they're falling they're trying they're trying to get each other in various unique lucha-esque submissions uh they're leaping off the top rope doing cross bodies and Kyoko's elbow drop. Uh, and that's just like the first like five to ten minutes of the match. It's all just one-to-one wrestling, and it looked really cool. And then they kind of slow it down, and they do you they do their unique submissions. And because Minami Toyota is not Bulnakano, as in she can actually bend to the way Inoue wants to do all these unique submissions. You know, we get we get some arrow locks, we get some variation of the arrow and bridge locks. Uh, it's it's interesting selling in submissions that you're seeing kind of for the first time, or at least from a rarity sense. So you're into that. Toyota is doing the same thing. She's they're doing some selling, and then they get to the outside and they're doing dives. You know, they're doing big double axe handles from the top, big crosses from the top, moon salts off the rope to the floor. And uh, even Manami Toyota is kind of doing a little walk and brawl with Kyoko, and they're hitting each other on the tables. This is when Inoue starts selling her shin, and she's limping a little bit. And uh, I guess the like, if you're just getting to the nitty gritty of pickiness, uh, you could say, okay, Inoue, if you're gonna sell this shin the way you were, maybe it's it's best that you just blatantly 
just stop ignoring it so you can do your like one move because it's not like a slap fire up type thing. It's just I will sell this thing and then I just, you know, I'll just get in the mood to not sell this anymore and I'll do my uh, top rope elbow drop maneuvers and uh, leaping off the second rope. And uh, then it'll just like kind of come out of nowhere. We'll she'll still start selling the, the shin again. Uh, in this iteration of Kyoko Inoue, I really like when she gets when you, when she gets in the ring with people like a Toyota, a Hokuto, a Yamada. We see greatness from her, right? We see that like top five wrestler uh, of 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 all time in the nineties, right? Or or in the arguable sense, at least in AJW. But what you notice, or at least what I notice, in my opinion, of Kyoko Inoue. Remains when she gets into people like Aja Kong and Ito and Bull Nakano and Yumiko Hota, that's where she delves into wanting to match her opponent. And her opponents in that sense are very slow, very uh, chin lock heavy, you know, slap in the hold and hit the mat, maybe do some like arm ringers and, and stretching while in the. In, so for Ky- Kyoko Inoue, she definitely delves more into whoever her opponent is. And more often than not, I do enjoy her. Because in AJW, they love their tag matches. So she doesn't fall into the factor of like doing a Yumiko Hota match. She falls into the factor of doing an AJW tag match and then in singles. So I would say, you know, two-thirds of the time, Kyoko Inoue is among the best. But it's, man, it's that one-third of the time you just go, man, I just do not want to watch her. Uh, in the sense of Manami Toyota, obviously, we just get high octane the whole time, and they're just they're just out of their minds. Uh, I mean, the the so many dives to the floor and doing like scoop slams on the on the concrete floor, and just going thirty minutes of just this action and the sweat coming off them. They're 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 doing AJW proud with with doing a match like this. And yes, we I, I went over earlier that they don't need to go thirty minutes. But they didn't want to beat him. They wanted the, the, the kind of tie to come into the, the Grand Prix. And if they didn't go out there and have a three out of three recommended match, this could have been a disaster in the waiting. But, um, you know, 4.25 Big Dave stars, I would say. Maybe four and a half if you're in a good mood watching these people. Uh, if you watch this, like, just in the classic version, it's, like, slightly cut out. You get, I would say, 22, 20 minutes of it. Uh, I could see you going higher. I've sought out the 30-minute version. I still liked it all the same, personally. And I liked how they how the bell just rings and they're exhausted. And they're still trying to do moves to each other. A uh, lot of good bridges here. A lot of good suplexes. Uh, th- this is definitely a match to seek out uh, and and watch going forward. I'd be curious of you, the listeners, how you liked uh, this match here. And I like the booking too. I like I like a nice little draw here during a Grand Prix. How these two couldn't put put uh, put each other away. And the next time they meet, perhaps on a bigger show. Uh, they, you know, you get a definitive winner and they can go all out and have an even bigger match. Because uh, we know that Minami Toyota Red Belt Reign's coming. And th- matches like this play into their rivalry when there's a title match involved. And then the main event, Akira Hokuto and Suzuka Minami, various little LCO here, taking on Toshio Yamada, full just Keiji Mudo, Great Muda gimmick, even the taped up fingers. Uh, and Yumiko Hota, whom, you know, she's still in her Chigusa Nagayo version, 
<laughs> that she wants to do. Uh, nice main event. Hot finish. Two out of three wreck. It only went 16 minutes. Not very long. Uh, there was a lot of holds at the beginning. A lot of ab- abdominal stretches. Uh, Hota and Yamada's team kick here. Uh, but Akira Hokuto's in this like rare, like sick, sweet yellow and black gear, mostly on the yellow side. She's got her cool fringes. And this is what I'm talking about with her. She's the biggest star in the company. She comes out and the crowd's electric for her. She has definitely taken this number one role and ran with it. Everything she does in the match just commands attention. Uh, she just has that presence to her throughout the match. Anything she does seems like a big deal, whether it's her drop kicking Hota off the top or or wrenching and just she just has an attitude and charisma to her that you have to see what she does next. And the the match builds well enough. So when they do get to this finish where they're again, Suzuka like the finish is Suzuka Minami does a suicide dive uh and takes out both Yamada and Hota. Hokuto comes off the top, does the somersault, you know, Liger flip, and then uh, Hota's back in the ring. Hokuto and Minami do the Fantastics double drop kick, uh, and Hokuto picks her up for the Northern Lights bomb and pins her with the knee over the chest. It's just, I'm the star. I'm pinning your ass. We're done here. Uh, it's it's just very cool to see someone have this big match and the crowd react to it. And when I was watching that, I was, I was thinking about man. After that Utami Shuri match got so much buzz and attention to stardom. Imagine if the crowd could like cheer after those shows. I'm so curious to how like the reception of Utami or Shuri would have had. We're kind of seeing the remnants of it in 2022 of Shuri and her title reign with the crowd really reacting to her kicks. They see her as a much bigger star than they did than they did before. Uh, it was a big changing of the guard title reign that was really reminiscent of booking kind of like a Boldacano Aja Kong deal going on. Uh, there, there's a lot of similarities. And of course, Hatman Rossi Ogawa has a lot to do with that because he's experienced it and lived it firsthand. He knows what he's doing in that sense. And in the sense of really highlighting a new star, and this is why on like various stardom reviews, I'm really starting to see some parallels uh, more and more as time goes on with Akira Hokuto and Julia and how they carry themselves, how they present themselves, how the crowd reacts to them. Uh, And what did Akira Hokuto never had? She never had the red belt, but she had the white. What has Julia never had? She's never had the red, but she's had the white. It's a lot of interesting parallels you can continue to make between the two promotions and the various growth factors that they're all falling through. If you want to make a more direct comparison, it might actually be like 90-91 AJW to how stardom is now but uh yeah i like this match uh i would go two out of three wreck on this main event uh rarity with me because i'm not you know usually a yubiko Ota fan but it was a lot of toshi yamada in here suzuka nami never got into her ground mat game that you see in her singles matches it was very much balls to the wall that you want to see and it wasn't overly long either so uh that's one critique i do i do have with ajw the more time goes on is when they start eclipsing that like 18 minute spot a lot of these wrestlers and they're developing their own styles in a developing scene and developing attention of a wrestling scene. Uh, a lot of these wrestlers are learning how to expand their repertoire and what makes them a wrestler. And now with the 25 rule scrapped, 
uh, they're going to be around longer and they're going to have to develop their games uh, to get those longer matches and fill out cards a little bit more with more variety. Uh, otherwise, these matches are going to get very samey and they're going to get samey very quick. And that's uh, that's another factor I'm paying attention to and noticing. Uh Unlike that Kyoko Inoue Minami Toyota match, there was a lot of innovation and a lot of trying new shit to make it seem cool. Uh, so yeah, three out of three on Kyoko Inoue Toyota, two out of three on the main event of Hokuto Minami taking on Hamada and Hota. Uh, this was a good one. Uh, I look forward to the next AJW Destiny episode that we go on. And that'll do it for All Japan Women. <laughs>